0: Hi everyone, time for a disclaimer. The information contained in this episode is not intended to be personal financial advice. You should always seek the advice of a professional before making any financial decisions and always do your own research. Let's get into the episode.
1: This is Black Millennial Money. This
0: is Black Millennial Money, boy. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money, and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. And today on the show, we have Dr. Ohemma and Kansa Dwamana. But before we get into all of that, some of you watching, and you know who you are, you're yet to like, you're yet to, you're yet to subscribe, you're yet to comment and share. So if you're listening on Apple Music or on Spotify... A click like a click follow and share it with some friends if you're on youtube click subscribe like it and leave a comment let us know what the thing you got from this episode really really was but now i also need to tell you about our patreon patreon is a platform that allows you to support our mission of reaching over a million people with life-changing financial education if you head over to patreon.com forward slash black millennial money you can be part of the movement part of the wave and make sure that we hit our target if this information has been beneficial to you just imagine how many more people it will be beneficial to so lastly that's patreon.com forward slash black millennial money now i told you we have illustrious guests on the show and i like to not lie to my audience to the loyal loyal listeners and watchers of black millennial money so today I'm gonna break it down to you about who Dr. Hemman Kansadwamana is, and I'm gonna keep saying her name in full, so you can put some respect on it. So, she is a registered and accredited counselling psychologist. Not only is she a researcher, she's a lecturer, and she runs her own private practice. She is booked and busy, but that doesn't mean she's completely unavailable. So, if at the end of this you might want to reach out, she'll probably get back to you. But if if you want to hear from her again, keep listening to Black Millennial Money because she's a regular now. <laughs> she knows you're a regular. In addition to that, all of the things she does there, she specifically researches intersectionality as a thing of, and within the world of mental health. So being Black, being female, and how all of those things can come, come together to affect your mental health and your reality of the world. But not just for the Black community, but across all communities. On top of all of that, on top of the list of accolades, she's one of the co-founders of the Black and Asian counselling psychologist group in the UK. Their work focuses around giving a Black and minority ethnic a, a counselling psychologist, counselling psychologist specifically, a seat at the table and helping further research in this space by supporting other counselling psychologists to go and do the valuable work that they do in our communities and homes. Dr. Ahemma and Cancer Dwamena, how does it feel to be on Black Millennial Money today?
1: It feels really great to be here. Um, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, really looking forward to the discussion that we're going to have today.
0: It's a juicy one, and honestly, it's something that I've battled with. It's been it's been something that's come up for me personally, so uh, I know it hits home for me and hopefully it hits home for the listeners. And just to catch everyone up on the format of the show, every week we talk about either making money, keeping money, spending money, or investing it. This week we're talking about keeping money, and this episode is all about financial infidelity. So for those of you who are in a relationship and there's been some mistrust in the handling of the finances, or there's been something that's happened financially that's affecting your relationship, this may just be the very best episode you could have tuned in for. But before we get into all of that, we have a tradition on the show where we like to get to know our guests before we really, really break it down for the listeners. So, Dr. Ohema, what are three things people should know about you?
1: Should know? Hmm. Could know? I'm going to elaborate on um, three things. So, firstly, I well people might notice that my accent is a bit mixed um, and this is because I moved around a lot when I was a child um, so I lived in different countries um, went to a few international schools so my accents or my speaking voice is very representative of those experiences and those contexts um, having said that I think as it's true for most people depending on who I'm with and what I'm doing um, there's much more of an emphasis on different parts of my identity so I'm around my Ghanaian friends I'm gonna sound very Ghanaian um equally I can sound very British um sometimes my Americanisms sort of creep in there as well so that's one thing that's probably interesting to know about me um secondly um I love music I love live music I love concerts the last concert I wanted to go to but obviously I didn't because of the pandemic um was going to be um, a festival where um, anita baker was going to be the headliner um, or one of the headliners so i'm quite sad that i missed that because i love 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 anita baker um, mainly because my father exposed me to her music from a very young age always played it in the house still does um so we have a shared love of anita baker strangest thing i have ever eaten one day I crept into the kitchen after my mother had returned from an event um, and she had brought some food back. So I just decided I wasn't gonna ask and I was just gonna eat it anyway. Found out later it was goat's brains. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, don't take people's food if you haven't asked for it, well, yeah. Um, but also it, t- it tasted like chicken. So, you know, <laughs> I wasn't to know until I was told. Um, so yeah, I won't be doing that again.
0: Okay, cool. So you went through the three things pretty quickly. Let's wind it back just a touch. Oh,
1: so you lived okay. in
0: four countries. What four countries were they?
1: Um, So I was born in Bristol, um, moved to Saudi Arabia, lived in Florida, and also lived in Ghana, where I'm from.
0: Okay, so UK, Ghana, Saudi Arabia, the US. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So that's four countries. R- really different mm-hmm. as well. Um, <laughs> hence the, the slightly American Ghanaian. Richard Jackson, um, so A Love of Anita Baker, what's your go-to song then?
1: My go-to song, You Bring Me Joy. How's that go again? Um, yeah, see, I can see how you probably want me to <laughs> sing this. I feel like I'd be doing Anita a great disservice if I even try to like replicate in any way, shape or form her wondrous voice. So people can Google it. <laughs> You're on YouTube, you're listening to this podcast. Once you hit that subscribe button, go ahead and also Google Anita Baker. Put it put up that playlist. Um, and when you've done that and you've come to appreciate her music, find five of your friends, cousin, family members, get them on to Anita Baker, and also get them to listen to this podcast. It's a win-win.
0: See, this is why you this is why you're gonna be coming back. You uh, you understand the promo. You
1: understand the promo. I, I didn't even tell you to do that. No, uh, you didn't <laughs> that's also my way of getting out singing <laughs> so
0: well keep promoting it if you don't want to sing that's fine uh, <laughs> so you ate a goat's brains are you convinced are you 100% sure it was goat brain
1: this is what I was told so now I'm beginning to wonder was I told that because <laughs> was my mother trying to make fun of me I don't know um but yeah I don't think she would to me about something like that having said that you know the texture was you not know, pretty chicken like so
0: well fair enough um then you're here to, to tell the story i guess but and now that we know a little bit about you that you may eat goat brain on occasion Anita need to a fan and your accent is explained by world travel um we are here to talk about financial infidelity and oh it's a heavy topic but it's it's an important topic i think and mm-hmm. it's one that all of us A number of people may have experienced it without actually realizing they experienced it or didn't have a name for it. So to start off, being the counseling psychologist, can you give us a layman's definition of what financial infidelity actually is?
1: In its simplest form, it's secrecy or dishonesty around finances in a relationship.
0: Okay, and I've been hearing that phrase kind of banded around a lot. Is it becoming more popular in the mainstream? Is that something that's what is there an official term for it, or is for financial infidelity what it's called?
1: Financial infidelity is what it's called. Um, and I suppose in, it's, it's not so much that it hasn't been existent in relationships from time immemorial. However, I think the dialogue around it and certainly our naming of it and our engagement with it has become more present perhaps in the last decade um, to the extent that, you know, also within the psychology field, um, therapeutic field. Um, You know, there is now or there are now financial therapists um, who can help couples or people who exist in different kinds of relationships um, to consider how they might work through or address the issues that stem from financial infidelity. So, yeah.
0: Okay, so. Financial infidelity is kind of secrecy or dishonesty around finances in a relationship, Mm -hmm. no matter what the makeup of that relationship is. Now. That sounds super broad. So, say for example, I went and bought some uh, trainers and my partner asked me how much I paid for them and I said half the price. Mm-hmm. So, say they were 100 pounds and I said they were 55, they're on sale. Mm-hmm. Um, or, in the case of some of our listeners, they went and bought um, some, some Valentinos and said so they they had a, they got to connect when they're like 700 pound shoes um is that considered financial infidelity or is it kind
1: of minor that will depend on the two people in the relationship and how they view or value money or how things are spent um or the communication because so if using your example if same person was to buy, if that was to continue for instance, if it was the case that they were going to continue buying shoes um, in a secret way and not tell the partner, and let's say it became such a pattern that thousands and thousands of pounds were spent on them and your partner never knew about it, then that might, well, it probably would become an issue in the relationship. If it was a one-off, um, is it financial infidelity? Some might consider that to be a little concealment, but again, it very much depends on the kind of relationship and the kinds of values that, you know, you and your partner might hold around money. Um, you know, it's interesting that we use the term infidelity because you think of like matter infidelity in terms of cheating, et cetera. There's debates, I suppose, around well, what is cheating? If you have, if you emotionally cheat, is that cheating? If you don't physically do something with somebody, is that cheating? So it really is. And to some extent it is subjective but it also depends on you know how it's viewed within the dynamic within somebody's relationship
0: yeah because i was gonna ask like and maybe opening a different kind of worms here but are you kind of saying that a little bit of cheating's
1: okay <laughs> I, i'm not saying that at all i what i am saying is that with most things particularly with regards to looking at issues that might arise in any relationship is the degree to which it impacts the dynamic or the connection with two people who exist within that relationship. Um, So for somebody or for two people, you know, depending on how that relationship is defined, that pair of shoes that get bought um, as a one off may not necessarily cause long-lasting or really deep problems within the relationship. But for another couple, actually, that might be indicative of other issues that are going on in the relationship. So it really depends. And so even though we have a definition, a broad definition around what financial infidelity is, um, I think it is important to be able to explore exactly what that means to different people and also how it might be connected potentially to other issues within a relationship.
0: Okay. Now that's interesting because we, we use the example of buying things, but I, I have an uncle and he used to have a bit of an issue when it came with gambling. So mm-hmm. it would be payday and then he'll be in the bookies and then there's nothing wrong with necessarily going to make a 10 pound bet right but then the issue comes when you spent all the grocery money in the book well you lost all the money in, in the bookies or in a betting shop and now you're coming back and your wife has to pick up the slack so that's I, I guess that's where the impact element comes in it right
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. I think also when you consider financial infidelity, often what arises out of that in terms of identifying issues is a lack of communication or trust. Um, Because ideally, one would hope in an open, transparent and honest relationship that ideally most things can be shared or all things can be shared in that regard. Um, So if you went and bought a pair of sneakers and it was a little bit more expensive than you had anticipated, that you'd hope you'd have the basis of a good enough communication in your relationships to be able to share that. Um, So we're going a little bit deeper here and so thinking about what is it also, another question might be, what is it that might prevent um, or cause people not to necessarily share openly the things that they might be engaging with, particularly when it pertains to how you exist within your relationship? hmm
0: we're gonna come on to that but you also touched on something else on the communication side of things and that leads nicely onto how can you spot financial infidelity because you may you may be in a relation some of our listeners may be in a relationship right now and they're but they're maybe not sure and financial infidelity could show itself in a number of ways because we had an episode of the money medics previously where um where nick he wasn't honest with eve about uh how much he was making initially
1: mm.
0: like when they first started dating and mm-hmm. that is financial infidelity it's mm. it's not and it only came to a head when they were talking about buying a house
1: right.
0: and it's like oh now i can't really explain the whole so things like that but mm. other ways what other how does it show itself in a relationship what what ways can you say it presents itself
1: well, it can present itself in many different ways. And this is not an exhaustive list because, again, it's sort of, you know, there are other nuanced ways in which it can show up. But, you know, sometimes where you can find one person is more controlling around the finances, um, that can be an indication of financial infidelity and other issues as well. Um, sometimes what do you mean
0: by controlling, though? What does that actually mean?
1: So, you know, not necessarily allowing input um, into okay. the finances, in the household, um, and that might sort of like be located with one specific person, or you may find that conversations or just, you know, the team approach towards the financial goals isn't quite shared, That it's one sided in that regard. Um, So that's what I mean about control. And of course that, you know, also can lead itself into thinking about, you know, other aspects in terms of abusive relationships where controlling finances is a factor in that particular um, cycle. Um, It can also show itself in the way in which people even communicate um, about finances. So, you know, again, it's not an exhaustive list, but sometimes when people get really defensive around talking about money, um, that sometimes can be indicative of financial identity that perhaps something is being hidden or something is not quite right. Um, so and when you say things-
0: defensive... Defensive, sorry to cut you off, but just uh, like because defen- I kinda wanna give examples of this. So, so because we can say defensive, but it's, it may be challenging to spot defensive. So would that mm-hmm. be, for example, if my partner asks me, Oh, um, how much was your bonus? And it's like, Oh, um they haven't announced it yet, but you know it's well after payday because I got
1: mm-hmm.
0: or I'm just sort of being invasive in the way I'm answering the question. I oh, it's between between five hundred and six hundred.
1: Mm-hmm. Nothing
0: nothing crazy. Is that something along the lines of being defensive or
1: slightly? I mean, I think that you use the use word evasive, and I think that's much more representative of what you're describing. I suppose defensiveness might come in the form of perhaps you were inquiring about, you know, let's say, how much we have in our savings account, um, and maybe the response being, you know, it's worry about that, or I don't want to talk about that, or You know, maybe you're thinking about buying a house um, and, you know, your partner might respond in in quite a secretive or dismissive um, or avoidant way. That would fall under that particular umbrella.
0: Okay. Okay, cool. So what else, what other telltale signs could there be?
1: This is the thing. I mean, I know you say telltale signs, but again, these what um,
0: indicators.
1: <laughs> we also don't want people to sort of feel that you know, as soon as they spot something along that line, those lines that this is definitely financial infidelity, because I think it's also about getting to know your partner. We'll get a bit more onto that in terms of understanding and having a share, well, having a shared understanding about money and your values, etc. But some of the other things that you might notice is you know, and a level of distrust that you might hold towards your partner in this regard. Um, And sometimes that sort of comes with intuition as well, kind of perhaps noticing that something might be wrong. Um, I think sometimes our guts are very good at telling us um, where something might be a bit amiss um, and being able to be attuned to that um, in in that instance. Um, Also lying. Um, lying about, I know we spoke a little bit about white lies in the beginning, but maybe persistent or consistent lying about finances or where money is going or not going um, or how much one might have, that too can be indicative of financial infidelity. But also, I mean, when we say that there may be signs, it's also very, very much the case that, you know, there can be a lot of shame attached to financial infidelity and I mean the perpetrator, I suppose, of that particular um, uh, behavior. And it can be the case that, you know, sometimes there aren't really like obvious telltale signs. People can hold these secrets and hold that kind of um, experience for a very long time because also in a lot of ways, because of the shame that can be attached to it, people can develop really, I say, effective ways to um, conceal. Um, the kinds of things that might be going on for them Um, but also bear in mind that you know it's not always easy to was ever easy to be able to be transparent and vulnerable and honest about certain situations that you might find yourself in in regards to financial infidelity so even though there there can be signs sometimes the signs are not very obvious Mm. unless somebody blatantly comes out and tells you this is what is happening for me
0: yeah And there's a couple of things that came up in our conversation when we were prepping for this episode uh, that I kind of want to address because I've heard them rear their head in relationships around me, whether that's family, friends or beyond, where Mm -hmm. it's arguing about money because sometimes the arguments about money from what you said previously could only be scratching the surface of what's really going on, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of ties into defensiveness where you ask about, oh, so when are we paying X bill? And the person's like why are you always asking me about bills? Mm. So that's defensive, but it's also an expression of anger because that person's under pressure to some degree yeah. and not happy with the circumstance financially that's expressing itself in. Now you guys are going back and forth over a bill. That's not really the issue here.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah.
0: Um, and the other one that you, you pulled out was sometimes it can be hard to spot when you're not involved in household finances. And yes. some of the dilemmas that we... I've got in the show that are coming up. I guess we're gonna put, we're gonna bring them out later. They're they're not out yet, but they will be. Um, they and this is particularly common for women, where maybe they're no longer in a workplace, they've had children or something along those lines, and they're financially. I want to say codependent because dependent sounds <laughs> dependent doesn't sound great um, on somebody else, but they don't have the visibility to really know what's happening with the finances. And on a level where, in the, in the examples of the, of the dilemmas I've got, but they're so busy running the household, making sure the babies are okay, et cetera, et cetera, that so far as stuff kind of seems like it's okay, you don't really look into it. And that mm-hmm. can be one of the hardest times to spot yeah. financial infidelity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's absolutely
0: and the reverse of that, I guess, is that the person who is the perpetrator, the man in this case, or the person who's going to work in this case, mm-hmm. um, because of the pressure that they feel to provide, everything that the family needs, that in itself can lead to financial infidelity about not talking about how hard that actually really is. Yeah. And then yeah. you end up spending on credit cards and overdrafts and you're just trying to keep the plate spinning, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I think that you're also speaking about, um, well, several things. One of the things being how people, people, sorry, people's attitudes and relationships with money. So what you've learned um, in the past, um, either in your own familial context um, or your own cultural context about money, sometimes, of course, that will translate or that will be carried into future relationships that you might have. So actually, it's very much the case in, you know, many different households that, one person being responsible for or being in charge of the finances of the household is normalized actually, because that's, that's what you've known. That's what you witnessed. um, And there's, you know, nothing in your mind, there may be nothing wrong with that. Um, But having said that, it's just, you know, picking up on the point that you made, then yes, sometimes it makes it, if there is financial infidelity in the relationship, it will be harder for individuals to pick up on that if they don't have a sense of what might be going on in so the finances of the household. Um, So, you know, they're they're probably, not probably, there is an importance for people to have some input, more input, (laughs) equal input in what is going on, having a knowledge of what's coming in, what's going out, but also, you know, thinking about very important things in relationships when it comes to money. Actually, what are your shared goals in terms of where you want collectively your money to go, Um, you know, do you have particular things you're saving towards, be it a house, be it a holiday, be it children? Um, What are your attitudes and values about money? Um, Are you, A saver versus the other person not being a saver um is one person more into sort of um you know investing etc versus the other person not being being able to have those conversations early and often is really integral to not just management of finances but it's also about the solidifying and i think the building of trust within your relationship um because of course that then helps to you know just strengthen not just your bond but your understanding and your vulnerability with one another which hopefully then can somewhat negate financial infidelity from occurring
0: okay Uh, so a couple of things to pull out from that where it's talking about the dynamics and the culture and things and and i'm going to throw a couple of scenarios at you for you to sort of uh, unpack and and discuss how these things could impact how financial infidelity occurs to start mm. off with. So mm. the first one is gender roles and mm. not just gender roles in like the quote unquote traditional sense, men go to work, and women stay at home, but how the evolution of gender roles is impacting financial infidelity on all sides.
1: Mm. So specifically, I mean, are you asking about how the evolution has actually potentially prompted or I think colored what financial infidelity might look like?
0: Yeah, let's start there and then I'll ask you a follow-up.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, of course, you know, dynamics and sort of like roles that people play in relationships has changed. Um, and of course, you know, I think it's important that also when we're talking about relationships, we're talking about all kinds of relationships here. So not necessarily falling into the binary man, woman, sort of within, in you know, certain dynamics and within certain sort of connections that people have. Um, and yes, it is very much the case that, you know, probably when we look around households at the moment yes in a sense you will have one person who's predominantly taking the lead in terms of finances and managing those but it's also very much the case that that has changed is changing um and that people are more likely to share that particular aspect um but there's also a degree and i'm not quite sure if this falls within certain sort of age groups but there's also a degree of um independence, I suppose, that different individuals bring to their relationships um, and a need to retain that independence um, when they are joined up with somebody else. Um, and so sometimes people may hold fears about sharing, being transparent or being open about what they have or what they might be achieving or what they may be like accumulating um, because they don't want to lose that sense of ownership or control um, within those particular dynamics. So you know, when we think about gender roles, when we think about how people are evolving in terms of how they're, how they're positioned in relationships, how they're positioned in households, that absolutely has had an impact on what financial infidelity looks like. Um, Because people's ideas, people's values, people's concepts about what money and spending look like looks like has also changed.
0: Yeah, and I think with all of that change, one of the things to really unpack is that financial infidelity isn't always about us one person running off and spending a ton of money and now the whole family's in debt because I've Mm. seen something I see quite often on Twitter is that sometimes women don't like to disclose to their male partners how much money they make in case (laughs) they make a lot more and that causes friction within the relationship but in you withholding that information it's almost the same as being in a ton of debt it has almost the same impact for trust in a relationship. Am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, you are. Yeah.
0: Okay. So financial fidelity goes two ways, not just about debt, but also about how much money you make, Mm -hmm. um, as well as in the smaller, more micro sense of what you spent on X and your willingness to explain that. But understanding that with the change of gender roles, financial infidelity is more prevalent and it can be in some ways it can be more easily hidden so where you've got two incomes coming into the majority of households nowadays mm-hmm. um if your money quote-unquote isn't required for the household to function does it mean you really need to disclose it does it mean you really need to include it
1: hmm. but those sound like two slightly different issues um i say issues i suppose i'm wondering about can there be disclosure even if your um, salary isn't contributed to the household predominantly? So when we think about openness and you know, transparency in regards to money and relationships, particularly if you know, you're committed to one another, um, it very well might be the case that you, you know you decide, okay, you know what? We might, we might, if you choose to do so, you might have a joint account, um, but you may, may have your separate accounts as well um, that allow you to be able to retain. you make and what you want to sort of use that money for um it doesn't have to look one particular way however what i think is imperative to all of this is that there are conversations around these things um so people know where they stand with one another and people are aware of what's going on for one another in regards to finances um and where where things are being um concealed or they're not being talked about that there is a bit of a question mark there um why are we not talking about these things in our relationship is this the only area of our relationship where we're not being open and transparent or actually are there other areas where secrets are being held or things are being concealed um so yeah that's you know an important thing to be able to highlight as well and consider
0: okay so hmm that brings something to mind where we're talking about the evolution of gender roles so um some things have changed and some things haven't and specifically again some of this data was drawn from from twitter which is as unreliable and reliable as it can be but um in a world where women generally not prescriptively can make almost any amount of money that they want there is still an expectation that whichever man that they're with should make more than them or should make X amount. How how does that pressure potentially, so ego and expectation related to men. So men have this idea in a lot of ways that they should be this type of person. And then the world tells them that they should be this type of person to some degree, women included, Mm -hmm. but then the goalposts have moved. How does that potentially impact financial infidelity?
1: Well, first, I think we have to sort of highlight that's not necessarily true for every male individual, so to speak, Um, but, you know, masculinity, also those gender roles as it pertains to masculinity, I mean, you know, it's still prevalent for a lot of people that, of course, that pressure to be the provider or the pressure to be able to exist in a certain way and to be able to maintain that, it's it's still there. And I think that that comes from society, that also comes from families, that also comes from different cultural contexts as well. and of course, you know, it, it can be the case for some, not all, because I can't speak for every human being on the planet, that they do enter into relationships, um, perhaps holding that idea that the other person, the male or female, will be the provider, and that is what they subscribe to. Um, but equally, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes there can be tensions where both individuals, will feel actually, we equally are contributing to this. Um, and so therefore, you know, what we contribute, how we're sort of engaging with this, we both have to take a role or we both have to have ownership over what's going to happen, how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to move together. Um, And so just in thinking going slightly back to what you're saying about the pressures that might be placed on male individuals in particular, um, I think some of the psychological aspects that can emerge from that will mean that sometimes for some men, and this is also true for some women as well, but for some men, what might happen of course, is that they may feel, a need or a pressure to, like I said, maintain a certain level of living standards or provision that maybe they may not necessarily be in the position to do. And that might cause individuals to sometimes live beyond their means or to do things that will cause, um, issues or, you know, real trouble within a relationship because that's where, you know, then some concealment can arise.
0: Okay. Um, a term that I really, really love, financial mm. culture. Mm. um So we can't. We've touched on it in the, in a number of ways, where you've spoken about the things you're bringing into a relationship. So, uh, in what ways does your, I guess, your pre-programming from whatever your home life was like, or whatever you watched on TV? Because a lot of us are the TVs are, are arbiter of a good relationship. Uncle Phil raised a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how does that affect um financial fidelity specifically
1: i think that sort of speaks to the kind of attitudes and values people bring into relationship as it pertains to money um, so an example might be perhaps your existence in a relationship where if we go back to our previous example let's say i have um an idea that i need to retain my finances, I need to retain my money, my salary, et cetera, and I don't see it as something that I should be sharing in my relationship. Um, There's a possibility that I might have either learned that from traumatic experiences that I may have had, or I might have learned that from observing different individuals within my own context, sort of operating in that manner as it sort of relates to money. Um, So we've we do, we develop, learn behavior, and we take that into our relationships. Um, and that's not just in regards to finances, it's also in regards to how we treat people, how we speak to them, um, how we talk about emotions, etc. So it can, you know, how we have learned about money, how we've engaged money with money, what we've observed about money in terms of patterns, in terms of relationships, are things that can influence how we ourselves, of course, manage our finances and how we communicate about money in our relationships. And this is why, in any relationship, it's really important to be able to have those kinds of conversations so you can understand or learn from each other as to what is my attitude towards saving? Am I somebody who spends quite easily um, and why is that? Because not having that conversation means that sometimes behaviors that occur can either be misinterpreted um, or they can be seen in a particularly negative light where actually there may be an explanation behind that. And if you know, then it helps you to be able to work better as a team to be able to address some of those issues.
0: Okay. Now, the last one of these I want to throw out there, this is something that when you said it and when we were preparing, really sort of threw me through a loop. And that was the idea of revenge. Can you break down revenge and financial infidelity for me?
1: So in some instances, this is where we sort of lean a little bit more into abusive relationships um, and also yeah, I would say sort of abusive relationships. It is sometimes the case that financial of is used as a tool for revenge. Um, so it might be the case, again, for either partner that perhaps they feel that that's a way that they can get back at their partner for something that they may have done or not done or something they may have perceived them to have done. Um, that it might be a way of, again, gaining control um, is as a way of minimizing the other person um, in regards to their self-esteem or their sense of self. Um, some people also use that as a way to fulfill interesting and it doesn't necessarily fall under revenge but it might be about fulfilling certain insecurities that they may have within themselves um, by engaging with financial infidelity so i would say what's quite interesting about that question this that i want to also highlight is that financial infidelity And a lot of times it can be very conscious in terms of what people are doing, but not conscious in the terms of, you know, intentionally wanting to hurt the other person, but conscious in terms of knowing that actually this, this is probably not right. If I'm hiding this amount of stuff, if I'm not communicating, and then I'm finding ways to keep that going. um, There's conscious element to it. But also, that's why we lean and talk about things like shame and humiliation that might prevent or obscure somebody from talking about these issues with their partner, Um, perhaps because they're afraid of the consequences. Um, So I kind of digress a little. But going back to what you sort of were asking about revenge, yes, sometimes financial jealousy can be used, wielded as a tool, weaponized as a tool um, to gain or to attack or to harm somebody else.
0: And can you give an example of what that might look like?
1: Um. Okay, um, let's say, this is probably not the best example, but let's say um, you might be in a relationship where you are angry with your partner about something. I will not necessarily name what that might be. And as a way of dealing with that anger within yourself or managing that, you might decide, you know what, I'm going to go and empty out all our savings and I'm going to go and buy something really expensive that's non-refundable and that will be that because I'm hurt or I'm angry. That would be an example of kind of revenge-like behavior um, that then has dire consequences, but also not in terms of, of course, what you've lost, but how it impacts the trust and the dynamic within the relationship. But it's also indicative probably of other issues that already existed within the relationship anyway.
0: Okay. So, wow. So, Dr. Hammer, you've taken us through like quite a few stages there. So we went, over what financial infidelity actually was then we looked at how you could spot it and how it manifests and then we kind of brought down some of the drivers not all of the drivers of course because there could be a lot of things that lead to financial infidelity in a relationship and it could also be a combination of things um but after the break we're gonna break down and really go into detail about how you could recover in your relationship from financial infidelity because these things do happen but it doesn't necessarily need to be the end of a relationship and sometimes it must immediately be the end of a relationship so when we come back after the break we'll be going through all of that if you have any questions or dilemmas that you'd like to have featured on our podcast or on our youtube channel go to blackmillennialmoney.com click the contact page and send them to us names will be changed or kept anonymous unless you say otherwise so we are back and we are talking about financial infidelity. In the first part, we were talking about how it occurs, what it is, and what kind of triggers and signs that it may express in your relationship. In this part, we're going to be talking about this has happened now. We can't take back the past. Are there ways? Are there steps? Are there actions that we can take to come back from it? And we are with the incomparable Dr. Ohema and Kansa And first question for this segment is, is it possible to come back from financial infidelity? And I say that knowing full well that I have, but still, I, I, the, the, your, in your professional opinion. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, it is possible. Um, but the possibility also requires work and mm-hmm. open and transparency um, and acknowledging and accepting that that's not going to be comfortable. That's not going to feel very good. Um, and it's going to take time. Um, so, yes, it's possible. However, on the other hand, um, sometimes in relationships, it's also the case that certain things that emerge might be indicative or lends itself to individuals needing to have some real conversations about their dynamic, their commitments, and their engagement within the relationship um, and being able to work through that. So sometimes the coming back from financial infidelity might possibly mean the ending of a relationship. as well so there are many different outcomes that can occur sometimes you know healing and progress doesn't look like one particular thing it might not be about just reconciliation um even though that very well could be the case as well but but it's both have to be willing to do the work um that comes with what may have transpired
0: okay and it's it's interesting because many people will know that i have been guilty of financial infidelity it's 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 something that i'm still getting used to saying out loud but the idea that i got into thirty six thousand thirty six thousand pounds worth of debt and did not tell my partner i've cleared it now but that doesn't change the fact that it happened mm. um i know what the first step we took was and specifically that i took was but for people in this circumstance what would you say is the first step that people should really be taking to address these issues because you can't change the past but you can focus on the future whichever future that may be so what is the first step and then i'll explain what my first step was
1: okay well first step really important step not an easy one um depending on how you are situated how you think about things is to be honest and upfront about what's going on um so that comes i suppose in the form of a conversation with your partner about exactly what is going on and Ideally, not a little bit of it, not a sliver of it, but actually the whole shebang. So being honest about what has occurred, um, where you are now, and sort of how it impacts both of you. Um, And that may be a really uncomfortable, difficult conversation, but that's the starting point. Because if you don't have that, then of course the secrecy continues. But also the other aspect here is that if we don't have those kind of open, transparent conversations, then you don't know where to go from there. You have to start there so you can actually hopefully develop a plan or a space that enables you to be able to start working through what has occurred.
0: Mm. And I'm happy that I, without seeking professional help, did that first step. But it started a little bit earlier where I had to be honest with myself that this was out of control, that I had really messed up and that was a tough realization, and there's a there's there's ego involved in that, and there's a lot of shame, because mm. like it, we demonize people for getting into debt, but we make it super easy for them to do so. Mm. Um, so in my in my particular situation, it was debt, but as we've discussed, financial infidelity can be anything. It, it's not necessarily building up debt. It can be in relation to a lying about income or lying about purchases that you've made, even if it doesn't result in debt. Um, so that was, that was the, I think that's like step zero. And then step one was for me Mm -hmm. to go and talk to my partner about it and explain to her and that every detail thing you just said, that was painful, like, because it was like reliving it, but then seeing her reaction to everything I had done and how bad it really was. And, and, and it was a progressive sort of realization that this is going to impact us In stages. So all of our plans have now been pushed back, the length of time it takes me to pay this off. Mm -hmm. And that was tough for me to mentally get around because as much as I I dug this massive hole, I didn't realize how far it had taken me away from my goals. Mm -hmm. But then she hadn't dug this massive hole and she had now had to accept how far it was going to take her away from her goals unless she was gonna leave. Mm -hmm. Thank God she didn't. Um but then that kind of brings us on to the next part, which um, I guess step two would be, what, what would you say step
1: two actually is? Step two may involve several different things. Step two might be, okay, do perhaps we need, if you're thinking about your partnership, do we need support or a space to be able to talk about you know, what has been revealed. So that may be in the form of therapy, um, whether, you know, it's, you know, marriage counseling or sort of like relationship counseling or the financial therapy counseling. Um, It might be in the form of support from other people around you um, and being able to create that space. But within that, of course, once you're identifying what the issue, first of all, you have to work through the issues. That's the important thing. You know, once the revelation is one thing, it's all the other things that you described that kind of need to be worked through, you know, the kind of emotions it might trigger, um, kind of thoughts that it might trigger, um, the resentment that it might trigger, because that's also a possibility. Um, and being able to work through that, which is again not an easy process um, because it's not comfortable, um, but it's necessary, that can hopefully lead you to a place then where you think, okay, if you're taking a solution focused approach, how are we going to work through this? How am I, how are we going to work through this? What kind of things do we need to put in place realistically that enables us to be able to get to a much more financially stable place, but also a much more stable place within our relationship and within our communication, Mm. which is really integral to any kind of movement when it comes to recovering from financial infidelity.
0: Okay, so the parallel to that in my practical Execution of this again, we never sought help, but it sounds like we luckily got it right. It was rebuilding trust and the steps required because, um, and people may be able to relate to this from infidelity from a cheating
1: Mm. sexual
0: relationship standpoint, where you have to rebuild that trust because that's at the core of it, that's what's been broken. Um, so for me, I went into full on disclosure mode accountability mode you should never need to ask me a question about the finances because i should have already told you um so i started doing monthly reports. they were supposed to be monthly they turned out to not be monthly but the intent was there and the conversations were still happening i would make monthly reports of how much that i paid off how much was outstanding so there was full transparency of um of what was going on and also if there was ever a time where things weren't going to plan like i would set um i let her know as soon as i found out because that's kind of how the debt accrued for me when mm. things were starting to spiral out of control i didn't acknowledge that they were spiraling i just kept saying no the, everything's good everything's fine but there was no visibility because had she seen how much <laughs> debt there was even before it got to thirty-six thousand pounds, that I ended up paying off. Had she seen ten, she would be like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa What's going on?" Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: to mitigate that, to to stop her mind from wondering, I was sending these these screenshots almost every payday. So she would get a live update of what was of what was going on, and on top of that, I would be telling her what's happening, what the timeline is, and having this sort of consistent payday focus cadence
1: mm-hmm. as
0: to, um as to what was happening, because that was the only way she was gonna have a level of confidence with me, for the number to be consistently going down, and if it Mm -hmm. wasn't going down, for there to be a reasonable explanation that she was well aware of before it happened. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But I think just as you're speaking that, I mean, there's one thing about actually the debt being repaid, but there's also something quite crucial in what you're describing in regards to that consistent communication and openness, um, that of course, when these kind of things occur and they rupture your relationship and you're rebuilding, that there has to be a consistent level of openness and communication. Um, And sometimes that that communication or sort of those feelings that are being expressed aren't easy to hear or easy to sit with, but they're essentially a part of the process as well. Um, And that should not just, within your relationship, but also from what you're describing, the relationship that you have with yourself as well. Like, you know, you're holding yourself to account um, and you're expressing that to your partner, but also with yourself, have you also taken the time to consider, okay, what was going on for me um, when all of this was occurring? What was it that perhaps led me to, or might have facilitated me concealing this type of information? What was it that led me to get deeper and deeper into that hole? was it something that I was trying to sort of like, you know, uh maintain? Were there certain ideals or values that I was holding that were informing how I was existing within this space? Um, so there's there's examination within the relationship and there's also self-examination that's mm. important as part
0: of the process. That's that's really interesting from that standpoint because often in relationships there's a facade. And when so me and my girlfriend have been together just over six years now. And when everyone asks me, Oh yeah, you guys have done so well it's like yeah, we have, but this wasn't easy. And mm-hmm. also for the first two years of every relationship, I think people are just and this is a sweeping statement. This is not personally about anyone, but you're not be you're not being real yet. Mm-hmm. You're still acting like you don't you don't fart or burp around people. You're still you're still acting like your hair's always done. You're still acting like you shower every time like you shower twice a day every day some days you don't and you know you don't but whenever that person comes through the house is tidy you're you're washed and pampered as if you live like this after that period (laughs) two years
1: though
0: (laughs) well it depends if you don't live together
1: it can vary for
0: people yeah it can vary for me it was the first two years um but that doesn't mean that that's the final facade Mm -mm. Because the thing that that clicked for me with debt or even it is that I wasn't living a realistic life for who I was.
1: Right.
0: Um, a friend of mine, Emmanuel, who's been on a podcast, um, he, he talks about people living on one hundred and fifty percent. If you're living on one hundred and fifty percent, that's not your life. One hundred percent is where you is where you tap out the fifty percent. That's facade.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the story you're telling yourself. That's the story you're telling others.
1: Mm.
0: And with the financial infidelity bit, there's a story being told, whether that's to yourself or to someone else. And until you break through that story and understand where that story comes from and refuse to keep telling that story, because now that I'm debt-free, I could turn around and continue the narrative that I buy three bottles of champagne when we go out clubbing. I could continue the narrative that I can afford everything under the sun or that, yeah, we can go on two holidays in one summer. I'd be for Amsterdam. I could continue that narrative if that's the story I want to continue telling, but it's not my reality. It's the reality of living on, in my case, more like 300%. (laughs) That's how you ended up in that much debt. So it's really interesting that you talk about the part that's you as the person who's been, I guess, the perpetrator also the part that's within the couple or the person that you've been untrue to the other mm-hmm. side of it is if you weren't the person that did it what work needs to be done from you mm-hmm. because sometimes the blame can be shunted exclusively onto the person that mm-hmm. maybe made the mistake themselves but you were mm-hmm. in this relationship too so so Dr Hammer, have you got anything to add to that for from the from the person who may have not done it like what kind of questions or what kind of action should they be taking to facilitate trust building
1: well I think there's something around examination and exploration again here um, and again that's not to say that you shift blame to the other person but mm. you know maybe the, the, you know this can be a trigger or this can be a catalyst to allow you to be able to consider okay Where, not just where am I in this relationship, how am I engaging in this relationship? How am I relating to this other person? Um, And certainly not, okay, how did I miss this? Because you can also sort of flock to that, which is, you know, it, that's only, that's how, is that helpful? Because, you know, then you can kind of get into a very cyclical blame game there, which is not necessarily going to be conducive to the progress that you're wanting to make. But maybe it does allow for people to, again, examine how they're positioned within a relationship, how they're engaging within it. But also you can maybe space consider, you know, again, your relationship with yourself in that regard. But facilitating that trust also in the relationship is also about being really transparent and honest with yourself too. Um, that, you know, rebuilding trust is a process. It really is. Um, and really, I suppose, framing or being truthful about your expectations of that, that it's probably not going to happen overnight. Um, and there may be things that you are angry about or you're resentful about. Um, and are you able to do that are you able to express that in a safe way when i say safe that you're able to be in a space where you can kind of talk about that as well um and what are you choosing to do as well in terms of what happens next um and that you're allowing yourself the space to consider that um in whatever form that might take um and so that might mean that if you decide okay this is something that has completely infuriated me completely angered me and completely hurt by but I want to be able to work through this. Then committing to that process is not going to be linear, <laughs> and it's certainly not going to be pretty. Um, but being able to take care of yourself within that, being able to being able to be able sorry to be open, open, and honest, and be consistent within that is also imperative. So there's a lot, there are a lot of different dynamics that can emerge within what that looks like together, um, but also singly when you're thinking about recovering from financial infidelity. Um, but I think at the crux of all of that as well, you know possibly move a little bit onto a further point is, you know, you, you can't talk about it once and that's it. Mm. Yeah, this is very much an ongoing, as you mentioned, an ongoing conversation and dialogue around, um, not look what you've done and that's being held as almost like, you know, a, a repetitive narrative, but more, okay, this is where we are. This is what's coming up for me. Um, this is what we need to be able to talk about. So hopefully it helps to improve the kind of communication you have within your relationship. But on the other hand, there's also something about, you know, if you're being really focused as well about the goals that you're setting for coming out of debt or coming out of whatever form that financial he has taken, that you need to have conversations about money often, not, you know, once in a big blue moon or when something occurs, schedule time to, you know, just check in with one another. Where are we? Um, what does this mean? Where are we situated? Um, if we have particular goals, are we meeting them? Have things changed? Um, how are we feeling about where we stand in terms of our money as well? Mm.
0: That's that's a powerful that's a powerful thing to do because as we as you're going through this process, it's an ongoing process. And then when you start to set those longer term goals and start to think far beyond, where like, we buying properties with my partner, for example, that's a long term commitment. Um, continuing your relationship could be a very long-term commitment. So all of these things, no matter what's happened, um, it's knowing that it's it's never, it, it's always a work in progress, I guess. And when you talk about goal setting in a long term, the idea of setting goals makes it really, really easy to have something to work towards. So you need to have a level of visibility to be able to achieve a goal to make sure that you're working towards it and having a structured plan. And that could be a systematised way of you maintaining the transparency in relationship, because just as you open the doors, those doors can close quite easily, presumably.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it also says something, just going back to your question before as well about you know, the person who may not necessarily have been facilitator of the infidelity, so to speak, what it's like for them. I think, you know, while I was talking about exploration examination, it's also perhaps an opportunity to consider if you haven't already done, what is your attitude towards money? And how do you see, um, or sort of view the ways in which you engage with money, either with yourself, but also within a relationship? Um, because actually sometimes people, you know, don't necessarily think about that. Um, until something occurs and
0: then they're forced to mm. and it's in, again So i've seen this with younger couples and i say that as in so they've been together they're in their mid-20s for example and this idea that by their late 20s they're going to be married with a house which is kind of the plan that me and my girlfriend had but we hadn't fleshed out the plan we just kind of thought yeah we'll get there and then in, in the middle of that here comes me with this grand debt. Well, we never really had a f- fleshed-out plan. There wasn't a roadmap, and understanding that could just as easily be the key to preventing this kind of thing. But the key to actually keeping keeping what's important front and center. What are you building? What what is your relationship focused towards? Like, and it sounds a bit crazy to say what is the objective of your relationship what is the purpose of a relationship what things are you building towards but if you're just waking up every day and it's hey you're still around is that a productive way to actually build a relationship that makes you happy and i'm not the therapist or the counselor here so i'm gonna kind of defer to you on this
1: I, mean, I don't know. I don't think. Well, sort of framing. Do we want to see our relationships as projects? Mm-hmm. Not entirely sure about that. But certainly, again, I think, you know, you're, you're putting it in a different way, but there is something about, you know, checking in to make sure you're on the same page over the course of your relationship and not just in regards to finances in regards to you know how you feel about one another um where you see yourselves going um where you see yourselves being um are you are you still feeling supportive of one another um are you still do you still have my back um do you still hold that same level or hopefully evolves, but that level of respect and care and love that you have for me. Um, mm. And that doesn't mean that that's a conversation that you need to have every single moment of every day. But of course, you know, at least having that sort of alignment and that communication and that connection and check in with that is an integral part of any relationship. Um, because, you know, we, sometimes we take those things for granted. We, we sort of think perhaps things will be as they will be and they will always be there and we're always on the same page. But actually, if we're not communicating, that's what's, you know, key to all of this. Then we don't know sometimes things that might be going on. We don't know how, the, how each other might be feeling in relation to certain things. Um, and so, you know, I, I know I keep repeating the communication aspect, but we know um, research supports this anecdotal evidence supports this um of course communication is absolutely the key in any relationship um and that communication takes different forms as well because people communicate differently it's not always just the verbal um there are different ways in which people communicate their feelings and their ways of being
0: okay and to my situation because i guess that's the most relevant example that i at least have um and debt is such a common thing in in society now that it may for for the vast majority of people be the, the most obvious sign or the most obvious outcome of financial infidelity for a lot of people because not yeah for the for, for the masses generally i guess um the thing that i learned is that it never goes away so if in times where i'm really sort of in my feelings i i think Oh, so that thirty six thousand that I paid off is more than the deposit we just put in our first place. If I had that now, what could we have done? But then there's the other side that's always going to be there that I've hurt my partner in a way that it's kind of like any old scar, right? You cut yourself, it hurts a lot immediately and shortly after. but that doesn't mean it's not there, like sometimes with certain scars. The skin feels different around it and it will always feel different around it. And it's knowing that for me, when I start talking about this new money making scheme or this new money making idea that I've had, which is part of the reason I ended up in the debt I was in, that is almost triggering to my partner. And I need to be mindful that her response or more specifically the way in which I present information to her needs to not be symptomatic of the things that led to that led to getting into this debt going forward. I need to be very considered in how I present information, but also the things that I take part in anyway, because I the the best that the best apologies change behavior, right? You can't keep looking like you're repeating the same patterns but telling me you're sorry. And that doesn't constitute helping to build trust in that regard. So I think it is important for everyone to acknowledge in the situation that what's happened was huge and painful and because of that it's always going to be there but it doesn't always have to be at the forefront of
1: things yeah and I guess it also depends on how you frame it and this is true for how you talk to yourself about it and also how you talk about your relationship about it so if it is the case that you know it keeps coming up in such a way that you are being punitive towards yourself about what has occurred um you talked about forgiveness earlier yes hopefully forgiveness in the relationship, but also forgiveness of yourself. Um, That's where compassion comes into mind that, you know, when you hopefully have been able to expose and communicate what has gone on and you're working through it, can you also adopt a degree of compassion towards yourself in being able to go through the difficult process of hopefully getting to a different place in regards to the infidelity. Um, Now, of course, Um, compassion doesn't mean lack of accountability as much as it means not necessarily continuing to return to that place and beating yourself up for what has occurred
0: yeah yeah and specifically for me it's not a fond memory it's not something i like to try and remember but it's a nice little reminder of what you definitely never ever 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 want to do again (laughs) because not only has it cost you so much in time because it took me two and a half years to clear that debt which is quick but arguably not quick enough it also cost me um the opportunity to maybe move earlier or get married and all of these other things but it also put a tax on my relationship and in some ways now that we're at the other side of it it could say that that may have been one of the best things for us to happen because it it knocked down the final facade so there are benefits I'm not saying anyone should go out and deliberately be, be guilty of financial infidelity, but there's benefits in the recovery of any sort of trauma, similar to the way that when you break a bone, it grows back stronger. Hopefully, this traumatic situation could be the beginning of a strong relationship for you and your partner. And it could also be you and your family or your siblings, because um, if you end up in a business opportunity or doing something with one of your siblings and haven't been fully disclosed in the numbers you guys could be hurt forever or you could figure it out and be stronger than ever
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it could also go the other way but that's absolutely true that of course sometimes that can be the catalyst for strengthening um a relationship because it's almost like things are now broken hopefully well depends on how you look at it but things are broken down to the extent that everything now is laid bare so we build up from that hopefully in a way that allows us to be able to Recover, and I think recovery is key, key here that you know recovery is about progress and it's not about fixing um, and fixing kind of suggests that things are absolute it is about progress and that progress will look different and there'll be ups and downs within that um, and sometimes also um, it can expose things like you said earlier to the extent that it might cause people to really confront or maybe address issues that may have already been existent within the relationship that actually really need confronting um, mm-hmm. and perhaps the infidelity the financial infidelity um, was really the aspect or, or sort of the the trigger that might allow for those confrontations or sort of that explorations to take place um, and that might not necessarily mean that that leads to you know happier ever after in that regard it might mean you know, looking at different ways in which you coexist or so you engage with one another. So there can be many different outcomes. Recovery can look many different ways. Healing is very different for everybody as well.
0: I like the way you said that, but that's a really professional and a polished way of saying sometimes the relationship don't mash up and um, <laughs> you can recover without necessarily being together, whether that's your sibling or your wife, husband, whatever the breakdown is um i can i can learn to trust financially and all of this but you don't have to be around here so
1: but also i mean if that financial infidelity is i know we were talking about in terms of the different sort of forms it can take but then if it's the form of a very toxic relationship Mm. then of course you know that ability hopefully for people to be step away from that dynamic is really integral and you know that's not always an easy thing to do like we said earlier sometimes And, you know, money is used as, you know, weapon for power in some relationships and control, um, which can be really detrimental to whomever, of course, is on the receiving end of that. Okay, now on that
0: perfectly surmised point, um, we are almost at the end of the episode. So after the break, we're going to come back with a quick tip and some next steps for those of you who are keen to tackle financial infidelity in whatever form it takes in your relationship, whether that's with a partner, or whether it's with siblings, or parents, or friends. Stay tuned. You may not know this, but we have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform that makes it super easy for people to support creators. Here at Black Millennial Money, our mission is to reach millions of people around the world with life-changing financial information, and you can be part of that. Head over to patreon.com forward slash blackmillennialmoney or click the link in the description to sign up and start supporting us today so we have been talking about financial infidelity today and we've had the good dr hemmer with us breaking it down and putting that professional lens on what it is to go through financial infidelity but also how you can recover from it and just in case we haven't delivered enough value enough advice and solutions and insight into this space
1: dr hemmer's got a quick tip for us over to you Wow. Really quick tip. Um, talk about money often. Talk about it early in your relationship. But talking about money doesn't always have to be completely serious. Talk about the fun stuff when it comes to money as well. You know, whether it's focusing on fun things you can do together or on things that you can kind of work towards or look forward to.
0: Perfect. And. My quick nugget on that as well is something that me and my partner did early is that we set up a holiday fund and that showed whether or not we could consistently make payments. What it didn't show, which was later revealed, is that um, I would spend on credit for business opportunities and all sorts of other things. It didn't show that, but it started the conversation. And that's something that can be a great, great start to this. And in previous episodes, we talked about credit scores and using credit reports and having the conversation around a credit report Mm. to broaden the discussion about finances, because on your credit report, it shows everybody you owe money to, and it shows generally what your financial behavior is like. And a credit report shouldn't just be used by big banks, it should be used as you guys as a couple to talk Mm. about money and what we're doing together. So, and if you're worried about broaching that conversation, a great way to broach it is in relation to, making sure no one's doing fraud on any of your accounts because if anyone's doing fraud it comes up on your credit report so it's like oh let's just check twice a year just to make sure that we haven't had any issues with identity theft or anything like that it doesn't even need to be about about money when you introduce the conversation but that doesn't mean it can't be a discussion about money at the end of the conversation but also Mm -hmm. i'm not saying you set people up so i'll be mindful i'm not telling you to to line people up just to have a conversation that you really want to have we're talking openness and transparency in our relationships and on that note before i get on, on my soapbox fully <laughs> we have some next steps so dr Hemmer, what are the three things everyone
1: listening right now should do to address
0: money in their relationship
1: well one of the things that we've both mentioned and so he talks about you know consistently throughout this episode of course communication Um, having open communication, learning how to communicate, because sometimes actually that is also something that we need to give ourselves space to consider and to learn. Um, And that in communication, the important aspects of listening um, and hearing, your partner um, within that as well. So um, that would be an important first step, um, or a step that would be really important with regards to not just financial infidelity, just know your relationship generally, um, that those particular aspects are core, um, hopefully to the progression and the growth of your relationship um, and your connectedness to each other. Um, Another thing that's really important is to set goals. And we've talked about this a lot today as well, you know, setting goals as a couple, but set goals individually as well in in regards to not just your finances, but of course, you know, different aspects of your life. and being able to, do that, of course, you know, lends itself hopefully to not just accountability, but being able to strengthen your bond and sort of work towards something. And, and again, cultivating that openness that we keep referring to, um, that you, you know, hopefully you both know you're on the same page and you can continue checking in with each other. Um, being able to do that, of course, is, you know, seeing your partner and being able to engage with that. Um, another thing that's really important and it's easier said than done, but you mentioned earlier, you know, the importance of, Acknowledging to yourself that there was an issue um, that needed to be addressed Um, and so trying as much as possible not to bury your head in the sand and to be able to admit or to be able to state or acknowledge that there is a problem and there is an issue, but also acknowledging that the recovery process or the healing process that comes from that might be uncomfortable and uncomfortable is just one sort of state you might be and there are other emotions um, or states that might come along with that and the acceptance of that is going to be important as you go through that journey as well um, that it might be a bit messy um, it might be a bit painful um, it might be a bit uncomfortable that is part of the process you're working hopefully through something so to be able to hold on to that and actually attached to that then also trying not to be, and as much as it could be, to be afraid to seek help when necessary. Um, That help, of course, can come in the form of therapy. That help or support might come in the form of speaking to people you hopefully trust or you know can hold and contain you, um, your partner, um, or at least somebody you know will hear and listen to you. That first step might just be, you know, maybe your first step isn't admitting to your partner. Maybe being able to talk to somebody else first and say, actually, this is what is happening to me. I just need for you to hear this um and that being then supported to be able to reveal that to the people that are important to you um, are really integrity so don't be afraid to have or seek that support and seek that help to help you hopefully to move forward um, in what you're trying to achieve with regards to financial infidelity.
0: so there you have it those are your next steps people i'm going to summarize them really quickly for you just so um the nice and compact so Communication is two parts. So it's speaking and listening, make sure that you are doing both when you're engaging with your partner or whoever it is that you're trying to rectify the situation with the listening aspect is just as important, if not more important than the speaking aspect, because you need to truly hear what someone is saying and not end up with your interpretation that we like to call selective hearing. The second thing is setting goals individually, but as a couple, and this is this is a key thing because we all get wound up on Monday mornings or whenever it is when we have to have that team meeting. But well, the purpose of that is to make sure that we're still on track for our goals. So if you've got your individual goals and your goals as a couple, are they first and foremost in sync? And are you consistently working towards them? Are you having the conversations? Are there times where you can make sure that you guys are still on the same page, still in sync and still going in the same direction? And finally, it's accepting all the emotions that are going to come through this because it's a process and it's almost a never ending process. Um, Dave Ramsey, who I'm a big fan of, he says that 30 years ago he went bankrupt and him and his wife argued for two years about it. He's since become a multimillionaire, but whenever he's about to start spending on something a bit expensive, it still makes his wife nervous, even though financially they have no issues. So understanding that it could be 10, 20, 30 years from now, and the triggers that were formed from this time could still be present. And if through all of that, you're working through those emotions, seek some help, find people around you that you can engage with. And if you're struggling to actually express how you feel to anyone, journaling is a great tool. It helps Mm -hmm. me when I'm getting super emotional, I write stuff down get it out of my head before i go and talk to the person about it so i'm actually identifying what i'm trying to say rather than identifying how upset i am about the thing yeah so that is today's episode dr emma you have been incredible and we're gonna we're gonna keep bringing you back i know i haven't asked you i'm just gonna keep speaking into existence But where can people get hold of you because i know our listeners they are they are proactive and positive individuals who may want to get some more insight from you we know you're booked and busy but you're not completely unavailable how can they reach out to you
1: well Cessna, so, so you can find me on linkedin as lots of people sort of on there but i'm on linkedin so you can find me
0: there i mean it's not
1: just me of course there you know when we're talking about therapeutic engagement um as it pertains to what we've spoken about today um you know there are many qualified um, counsellors, psychotherapists, psychologists, etc, who, you know, are there to offer their services to be able to help people work through these issues. So, you know, um, there are different directories you can go to. um, And specifically, of course, if you're looking for Black and Asian counsellors, psychologists, psychotherapists, counsellors, you know, you have barton.org that you can visit who have a directory of those um, particular individuals and um, professionals. Um, But equally, you know, you have the BPS, the BAC, BCP. So there is definitely help and support out there. So I'm not the only one, even though of course I am there, you know, to answer people's questions. But certainly, um, you know, the support is there, and hopefully people can access that and make use of it.
0: Okay. So as always, we are willing to hear your questions. We want you to send your questions. So if you have any questions in relation to this episode, head over to BlackMillennialMoney.com, click the contact page, and send us over your questions. I and Dr. Ahema will be doing some dilemmas in the future, so we will be responding to those questions live on air, well, live on a podcast or on a dilemma-specific episode. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at BMM Global, on Twitter at BMM Global Pod, and on every, every podcasting service out there other than SoundCloud. Um, Next week, we are talking about investing money. Thank you for listening and head over to our Patreon
1: this is black
0: millennial money this is black millennial money boy this is black millennial money